At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 465th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who empowers a community through the benefits of growing food in the middle of the city. We're talking with Bobby Wilson about five acres in Atlanta and so much more. Bobby is the president and CEO of Metro Atlanta Urban Farm, founded to use as a teaching tool, economic empowerment zone, and as a food production site for the southwest metropolitan Atlanta area. He promotes the benefits of urban agriculture and food deserts with a farming model that works to decrease the number of food insecure families through educating on planting, cultivating, and cooking fresh produce. Welcome to the show today, Bobby. Are you ready to rock your urban farm? And roll. Excellent. So, hey, I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Well, my story is one of those simple stories. I had a vision. I had a dream. I went to work for the University of Georgia teaching urban agriculture. And my job was to teach underserved folks how to grow their own fresh vegetables on small tracts of land. Wow. After spending 25 plus years with the University of Georgia, it was ingrained in my bones to continue to work with those communities. I had an opportunity to take my retirement money and invest it in a five acre farm right here in the city of College Park, 10 minutes from downtown Atlanta and five minutes from Hartsfield Jackson International Airport. Wow. We've now been here for 11 years, and we have grown by leaps and bounds, and I only see the future in front of us, and we're just excited in terms of where we are right now and what we can potentially do to have an impact upon the lives of the people that we have been called upon to serve, not only in the metropolitan areas of Atlanta, but across this great nation of ours. Well, and we're going to get to that in a little while because you've put together some books on how you've gone about doing that. So we'll talk about those in a little while. What is urban agriculture to you? Urban agriculture is, is about growing food. It's about growing people. It's about making a positive impact on people's everyday people's lives. It's about changing policy in terms of how our federal government, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, 10 or 15 years ago, it was a bad word to mention urban agriculture. Right. It was just a few months ago that I had our Commission of Agriculture out here visiting with us. 
It's about seeing people come to the community garden, not only for just growing food, but it's about the therapeutic value that I see people getting from the garden. It's about bringing school groups to the garden and watching those kids for the first time, mm. being engaged and being involved and actually being on a real farm. It's really about changing people's lives in a positive way. Wow. Well, and I, I just have to sh do a shout out to you for, you took your retirement money and you bought a farm. That is epic. You know, they say when you retire, you need to do something that you really enjoy doing. Yes. And because of the work that I did in those underserved communities through the University of Georgia, those people became a part of my life. And watching those people kind of cling to you and looking for something different and consistently going back and forward in those communities, watching babies being born and going to funerals of my gardening members. It really made me feel like I became a part of that community. And so when I retired, I wanted to continue to work. And some of those same people are still working with me today nice. that I worked with 25 years ago with through the University of Georgia Cooperative Extension Service in Fulton and DeKalb County. Wow. Congratulations. That is just really epic. Thank you. Thank you. So your focus is significantly on education. Why is that? Because it is important that we figure out where our next generation of farmers will come from. It is important to me that our city dwellers learn, get a real true meaning of where our food comes from. It is important to me that our children that lives in the city feel that food actually comes from Kroger's or from the grocery store and they are not making the connection between the soil and the food. It is important to me that we continue to maintain and sustain green space in our inner cities. So there's a lot of different reasons why urban agriculture and community garden is important to me. I like to tell people there's two parts to what we do. One is growing food, and the other one is growing stronger and healthy communities through urban agriculture. Wow. That is awesome. I'm driving up your driveway into your farm. What am I seeing? Well, the first thing that you're going to be coming, if, if, if you were leaving Hartsfield Jackson International Airport, one of the busiest airports in the world, and we're only five minutes from that airport, and you come down Highway 29 through the city of College Park, you're going to see this big white house setting up on the hill that was built in 1886, 1887. Wow. Metro Atlanta Urban Farm has renovated that house, and our office space is in the upstairs. In the downstairs, we host community events, educational programs, baby showers, birthdays, and other events. And then you would turn in our driveway, and you would come through our gate, and you would see this old historical house sitting behind the big white house, which was the caretaker's house. And behind the caretaker's house is about 
three, four acres that is in production agriculture with hoop houses, with irrigation system, with a well that's 345 feet deep pumping about 20 gallons of water per minute. And you might even see some community gardeners out there working in their garden plot. And you would see our farm managers somewhere on the farm managing the day-to-day operation. What a sight. So many people stopped by here and they said, I never knew this was a farm. What a jewel you have. Nice. Keep up the good work. Yeah, no kidding. So you have community garden plots and you're running a farm. We have community garden plots and we have production agriculture. We have about 40 community garden plots that's 10 by 20, which is roughly about 200 square feet. Each gardener get a key to come in the gate when they so please. So that means we don't have to be here for them to work in their garden plot. We have groups that travel from miles around that have their own plot. We have people that come on a consistent and regular basis. We have those that have been with us for six or seven years, and we get new gardeners coming every year. Some stay and some go. But Uh every year we run out of garden plots. That's nice. Although it would be nice to have more garden plots, it's nice that there's that much of a demand. Yes. We, We are excited about the demand that we get. We're excited about the number of groups that comes to us that that want educational programs. We are excited about the fact that the number of requests that we get from middle schools, elementary schools. We're working on a project through Cornell University with three high schools in the metropolitan Atlanta area. So there's a lot going on above and beyond planting the seed and watching it grow. Oh, that is so cool and true. So you've provided food for more than 5,600 families, as this note says here from Janice. Tell me how that makes you feel and what's that about? I have a tremendous staff. Believe it, if you, if you look at all the work that we do, It is through the volunteers that we get. We have three full-time paid staff, people on hand, and we hire seasonal workers. I think our biggest challenge is that we don't have enough staff on hand. But being able to see that little old lady stop by the farm with her food stamps and, and go out there and watch us pick her collard greens, her beets, uh, her tomatoes or whatever the case might be and talk about how her papa or how her daddy used to have them garden and they said just as soon as I can get away from this, but they remember those good old days with their papa in the garden and it makes me feel good when they stop by and pick up something. Uh, when we do emergency food relief, there are so many homeless people in the metro Atlanta area. We partner with the Atlanta Community Food Bank. We partner with other nonprofits across the country. We've had great support from foundations like the Clorox Foundation, Food Well Alliance, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, Alabama A&M, 
the National Science Foundation, and many other groups that have supported our efforts in terms of making a difference in poor people's lives. Wow. You have made one heck of an impact. You know, I think some of us are put here with a purpose in mind, and we feel like we need to fulfill that purpose, that obligation that has been put before us. And don't get me wrong, it's a lot of hard work, but if you're enjoying what you're doing, that makes the work a whole lot easier. And I feel like this has been my calling, and I'm giving it all that I have day in and day out. I'm fortunate enough that I'm able to talk tonight because last night you couldn't have understood nothing that I was saying. Uh-oh. Because I've been doing educational programs and working with summer camp programs and doctored myself up so that I would be ready for this tonight. So I'm just excited to be able to share with your audience the work that we are doing here in the metropolitan Atlanta area and any way that I can help any of the listeners, I want them to feel free to uh, call up on Metro Atlanta Urban Farm in College Park, Georgia. Nice. There's got to be a few times over the past decade since you bought the farm that something, somebody showed up, some child was there, or some person showed up, and they said something or did something that just had you completely and totally understand this is why I'm doing this. Who is that? Well, well, it just happened a few days ago, to, t- to be honest with you. A couple of days ago, last week, a kid that had community service hours, he had 150 community service hours. And he finally completed those community service hours and we didn't see him anymore. And last week, he showed up. He said, Mr. Bobby, I'm so glad I finished my community service hours. But since I've been with you last, I've got my GED. And he came back just to share that information with the Metro Atlanta Urban Farm staff. Which made me feel good because it made me think that we had an impact upon encouraging him to do his best. And so that was one of the wow moments for me. Yeah, sweet. And that just had to warm your heart all the way. It made me feel so good. I went home sharing it with my family, (laughs) telling them about this one kid Mm -hmm. that we had so many challenges with. 150 hours. Usually they come with 25 or 30 hours. And we never asked, what have you done or what did you do? to get the number of hours. And I can tell that this kid has been challenged all of his life. And he wanted to stay longer that day. But he was telling us that if he didn't leave now and catch the bus to get home on the other side of town, that he was going to be locked out of the house. So we could understand that it was more than just the kid being a troubled kid but he was also having some challenges at home as well. So a lot of times we don't know what our children are going through to get to the point that makes them do something that's not so popular that they end up in the court system. So it's usually 
more than one straw that breaks the camel's back. And it sounds like you're providing a really, really nice platform for them to come in and feel like they have a place in the world. Well, not only just for kids, but for adults as well. I just had a lady just stop by yesterday saying, and, and I worked with this senior group a few years ago, and they still remember me and Metro Atlanta Urban Farm. She came by and said, Mr. Bobby, our seniors want to have a field trip to your farm. They want to come out and let you do an educational program, and they want to sit under the old oak tree and have lunch and laugh and talk and share memories. And it's hard to say no to groups <laughs> right. like that that just want to come out and share memories of their days from Mississippi and Alabama and South Georgia. And they finally made it to the big city. And now they're in retirement homes or they're, they're going to senior programs or day programs. And they want to just kind of get back to their roots. Wow. And that is too a big impact. Good for you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. So you've created a couple of books. You co-wrote a couple of books, Meaningful Collaborations and Partnership for Impact. And we're going to have some of those available for our listeners as a giveaway. Tell me about the books and how they happened. There's a group of us that we're called ICBOs, Independent Community-Based Organizations. Sometimes we are referred to as informal science learning programs. And none of these groups are alike. We all do different things. In some kind of way, Cornell University found me a few years ago and asked me that I want to be a part of a program to study birds. And I'm like, how are birds going to impact Metro Atlanta Urban Farm? But it came with a stipend. And as you know, as a nonprofit organization, we can always use money. So oh, I said, yeah. yes, I'd love, I'd love to be a part of it, not knowing what I was getting into. <laughs> right. In, in actuality, what we started, we came up with some basic things that was important that we wanted uh, science institutions to know. We wanted science institutions to know that, that there are certain people that have power and privilege, we wanted them to know that we need to develop trust and transparency programs, relative and reality, what's real. We wanted them to know that commitment and collaboration was important. So we set out and we wrote this book and we identified these themes. And it was amazing the response that we have been getting from these workbooks. I think this book goes beyond just working with community-based organizations, but corporations and businesses need to understand these themes, power and privilege, trust and transparency, reality and relevancy, commitment and collaboration. Those things become important, especially when you're working in underserved communities. I think every politician today should read the work that the ICBOs have put together over the last four years through Cornell University Lab of Ornithology and the National Science Foundation, which funded this program. And one of them's a workbook, right? Both of them are workbooks. 
One is for community groups and the other one is for uh, organizations. Two separate sets of group of people looked at them, but we, we came together and we co-created them. And I became an author in collaboration with the uh, others that's a part of it. And the, the, the idea thing is, as it relates to this, is that these are people across the United States, from San Diego, California, to St. Paul, Minnesota, to uh, Ithaca, New York. And what it is, is a very diverse group of people. And I've chosen to take these themes on and use them in my community every day. We do what we call a leadership calendar every day, every year. And my theme for this year's calendar is equity, diversity, and inclusion in our society. And that becomes so important. And we really want to be able to have a positive impact in terms of bringing people together through urban agriculture and community gardening and having them to work together, to share information together, to work through their differences for the betterment of society. Nice. Well said. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. You know, the old songwriter said, we shall overcome. We shall overcome. And one of, the, one of the challenges that I took on about three years ago, and it was part of our theme that year, is building collaboration between contrasting communities. There's a school here in College Park that sits across on the opposite side of the railroad track from me. It costs those students about $35,000 a year for tuition high school tuition. Mm -hmm. There's a school on the same side of the track that the farm is on, and they just want you to come. If you would come, we would try to teach it. It's an alternative school. We made an effort to use gardening as a tool to bring students together, to work together in the garden, to help bridge the gap between the haves and the have-nots. And we gave each one of those schools garden plot. And we had about two or three meetings together. They worked together on a garden plot where they grew food and they donated it to a nonprofit organization called Love Beyond Walls. But I never got that group of students or those two schools to work together as in the fashion that I wanted them to work together. Because it was my thinking that if I could get these students to know each other by working in the garden together, if we're at the bus stop or we're at the modern train station together and you step on my shoe and I get get angry with you because you stepped on my shoe and a fight breaks out, It was my belief because we know each other and I stepped on your shoes, you would say, oh, I'm sorry, I stepped on your shoes rather than, man, you stepped on my shoes and I'm going to do so-and-so and so-and-so to you. 
just by knowing each other, by working together in the garden, that was my hope. But I never, as of today, been successful at bringing that together mm. like I thought I wanted to be. And so as of today, we have not overcome, but we're still working towards bringing those two schools together. As you know, principals will come and principals will lead and you lose momentum. But I still have a couple of connections at each one of those schools, and we still are excited about the possibility of those two schools being in close proximity in terms of bringing them together for the betterment of this community and society as a whole. Amen to that. So what do you consider your biggest success? I think one of my biggest success a few months ago, I called the Commissioner of Agriculture and asked him if he would meet. called the State Director of NRCS, Natural Resource Conservation Service, and asked him if he would meet. I called a Farm Services agent and asked him if they would meet. I called down to Fort Valley State University and asked the, the Dean of Agriculture if, if he would come and meet, and he told me no, but he would send somebody. And I had several other, my city council person here in College Park and several other influential people all agreed to meet me, Bobby Wilson, this informal science learning farm here in College Park. They agreed to meet me to talk about what I was calling a STEM educational research center. And we had about an hour and a half meeting, and I told them that, okay, I'm through, y'all could go. They stayed another 30, 40 minutes just talking about this STEM educational program meeting. And this educational STEM program is, is being designed to use agriculture as a tool to steer most students, more minority students, into the STEM program the health science program, the human sciences. And we were talking about using smart technology. We were talking about using music technology. We were talking about performing arts and other technology advancements. And we want to build this $2.5 million building here on the five acres of farm that would consist of a commercial kitchen, growing kits, that would go into our schools so that kids will have science projects that they would work on at school and be able to come to the farm and work on those same science projects. We would have uh, wine processing facilities here. Of course, we've already, we're already making wine. We have our wine license. But there's, there's so much chemistry in that whole process. And we believe that if we had music technology and being able to record and performing arts and videos and things of that nature, that we could get more kids into the program, but they would have to do the whole program. And we think once they see the reality of what urban agriculture could do, that they were more apt to be engaged and change some of their mind about what they want to do. There are so many kids that come to me through the court system and you ask them what they want to do. The first thing they tell you is that I want to be a recording art artist. I want to write songs. 
I want to be a performer. Uh-huh. But there, there are so many other jobs that we are not even aware of. I'm talking to a kid right now that's in, in, in his second year of college, and he's doing an intern here with me. And so he's going back. He's going to one of our historical land-grant schools. And he's going to change his major to agriculture because mm-hmm. he realized that he wants to be a business major. So he can be an agriculture business major yep. and do some of the same things that he was going to do as a business major. Kids don't realize, and, and also our counselors don't realize, kids want to be engineers. They don't realize that John Deere are looking for engineers all the time to right. design that makes combine, that makes tractors, that makes tiller or whatever it is, else it is. And the other thing that, that, that they really don't realize, there's so much money available in scholarships for kids that wants to go into agriculture. You just got to know where to look for it, where to find it. I got a friend down at Florida A&M that's over the STEM program, and he can never find enough students that made the right score on the SAT test and has the grade point average that he can give out his scholarship money to. So we're trying to encourage that next generation to really look at agriculture as a potential career. And if they do that, when they get out of college, they already have a job waiting for them. Beautiful. And what drives you? Passion, the love for the work, the people, being able to make a difference in somebody else's life. Somebody made a difference in my life because I could have been one of those that was doing the civil rights movement, not made it home. I could have been one of those that ended up in Vietnam and not made it home. But somebody watched over me and pointed me in the right direction to Alcorn State University what I got, where I got a degree in agriculture education and led me towards teaching school, led me towards a master's degree, led me towards working with the University of Georgia, which led me to where I am right now, mm-hmm. right here at 3271 Main Street in College Park, Georgia, making a difference in people's lives day in and day out. And I really feel real strongly that I am making a difference. And I really feel strongly that I am driven by the fact that I'm able to make a difference. Yeah. When it sounds like you've lived a charmed life by your choice. Well, I've been one of those fortunate people. When I was working for the University of Georgia, I got up every morning enjoying going to work. When I became CEO and founder of Metro Atlanta Urban Farm, I still enjoy getting up in the morning, coming to work. Am I faced with challenges every day? Yes. Am I faced with financial challenges here, trying to keep this farm going? Yes. Am I faced with trying to find qualified employees to work and help make a difference and have the same vision and have the same drive that I have? Yes. But does that make me want to give up, turn around, sit down, go home, watch TV, get up, eat, go back and watch more TV? No. Bobby Wilson wants to get up every morning 
to come to 3271 Main Street to meet and greet people that walk through that door, to look at his emails, to see the number of requests that have come through that want us to come up, come out and help them set up a guard. Bobby Wilson wants to go to that church and talk to the pastors and the leaderships of those churches that want to take this on as a ministry in their church. We are proud of the fact that we are able to help change people's lives through urban agriculture and community gardens. Awesome. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Well, I had a friend up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Will Allen. He was the founder of an organization up there, and he just retired several years ago, and he wrote his autobiography. He played professional. He was fortunate enough that he was able to play professional basketball, so he had a nest egg that he could invest in growing power. And uh, he did a tremendous job with the things that he was able to do around the Milwaukee area and Chicago area. Has a great autobiography book. Will and I had a chance and opportunities to do a little bit of work together over the years when I served as president of the American Community Gardening Association. There was another guy several years ago that came to Atlanta I would say 15 years ago, and, and he formed an organization called Truly Living Well. And his book is coming off the press pretty soon, Rashi Nuri. And I'm excited about the possibilities of reading his book and trying to see what he has said and what kind of knowledge that I can gain from them, from Rashi, to help move this program forward. But one of the books that I'm real proud of is several years ago, I was commissioned to write a senior community gardening manual for the Atlanta Regional Commission. And I have read this book several times, thinking about uh, and making notes in it in terms of what I missed, what I should have said. And I've just said a few months ago, just as soon as things slow down just a little bit, I'm going to rewrite this manual again so that it will be back on the bestsellers list. I'm just joking about that now. Yeah, there you but go. But it, <laughs> it would be a book out there for people to read in terms of how to successfully start a uh, community garden with seniors and others. So those are three books. One, I'm anticipating to come off the shelf. One that I had an opportunity to write. Three, a good friend of mine, uh, Will Allen, with Growing Power. Yeah, Will's a, Will's a rock star, that's for sure. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Believe in yourself. Believe in your vision. Believe in your dream. Believe in the mission that has been put before you. It might seem impossible, but all things are possible if you only believe. Keep the vision, keep the dream alive, and keep feeding people through community gardening and urban agriculture. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Bobby. This has been wonderful. 
And I just hope that if we can do anything here at 3271 Main Street in College Park, Georgia, to help enhance your Irving Agriculture Program, feel free to drop us a note, drop us an email at B-O-B-B-Y-M-A-U-F at gmail.com. Go to our website, Metro Atlanta Urban Farm. Let's have a conversation around keeping this movement alive and keeping it moving forward and really keep making a difference in somebody else's life. Excellent. Excellent. And we want to thank Bobby Wilson and the folks over at University of Cornell Lab of Ornithology as we have five sets of meaningful collaboration and partnerships for impact that need a new home. And we get to share them with our listening audience. Email us at podcast at urbanfarm.org with the subject, I want to make an impact. Make sure that you provide us your name and mailing address. We will pick five random emails from the first 50 people who respond and we'll send you the books out. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Bobby Wilson. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.